I think if we could see things from all eternity past, if we could see things from the perspective of Adam and Eve all the way through human history to the last martyr before Christ returns, or wherever it is, we would see and evaluate and see our role in the world much differently than you do when you feel like you're, well, speaking of history, in the gladiator pits with the lions and the other soldiers wondering who you need to stab in the face just to survive the day. Amen? No? So today, last week was um, a bigger topic. This week I'm going to want to talk with something that's super important, but maybe a little bit less controversial, and that's just the topic of fitting in. And especially the idea of fitting in at church. Anybody ever feel awkward at church? at a church meeting. Anybody ever feel like you don't quite belong? You look around the room, you wonder if you have any friends. Anybody? Anybody wonder if they'll make any friends? Just leave your hands up. Anybody just feel like you're losing friends? Anybody feel like you wonder if anybody notices if you ever come or if you don't come? Yeah, fitting in, it's something. And so I want to talk about this this morning and my hope is that we'll have faith to walk with Jesus in a bigger way as being a part of a local church or a body of believers, knowing that the reality is is there always will be some ways that we feel like we're a good fit, and there'll always be something that we could let make us feel like we don't belong. No matter where you go, but especially in church, there will always be something you have in common with other believers He was risen from the dead. And no matter where you go, there will always be something about you that you can let become the thing that divides you from other believers by feeling like you don't fit in. Amen? And probably you don't want to be at a church where you feel like you fit in 100%. All right, so let's pull out of this and just see what I think is the root of the issue. For all people everywhere, and especially at churches, I think the problem is this. Everybody's the same and everybody's different. This is our big problem as human beings. We are all totally the same. And every single one of us is different. Fight. Right? We are all so the same. We're human beings. We breathe air. We eat food. We think. We feel. We have relationships. And we live on this planet. And we're so the same. So we have tons in common. Tons of wants in common. Tons of desires in common. But we're also different. So that we can always feel like we're not, we don't quite fit in, or we can feel a little bit threatened, or we can feel like I've got my group versus your group, and we can feel intimidated, and we can feel angry, and we can feel like we need to fight over things. So there's a picture of an apple and an orange on the screen right now. Are those things the same or are they different? Fight! This is all I want to do. Get those dinosaurs back here. I need to scratch the itch in a socially acceptable way. Or else I'm going to, you know, next time I go to youth, I'll be like, hey, anybody want to earn 20 bucks? 
break a pool cue. Oranges and apples, are they the same or are they different? They're, they're totally the same. Because somebody said different, so I went with the same. They're totally fruit. They totally grow on trees. You can tell by the picture that they totally grow one leaf off to the side. They're totally roundish without being completely round. They totally have a stem. They're totally full of fructus. And they're totally disappointing when you get served that for dessert. Oh, anybody offended yet? I mean, you could put that in a chocolate cake and we'd be happy. And they're totally different. One's an apple, one's an orange. They, they breed other apples and breed other oranges. They're very different, but they're totally the same. And people are even closer than apples and oranges. We're totally the same. And yet every single one of us is different. What are we going to do about this? And this is even truer in church. So here's two passages from the New Testament applying to us that really emphasize both our sameness and then followed by our differences. So let's, I'll read the sameness version for you. This is uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 and 6, talking about what is true about every single Christian that binds us together for all eternity. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What's the key word there? There's just one. And if you're a believer in Jesus and if you're a Christian, you have come to the one. One body, one Lord, one hope, one baptism, one spirit. So that when Christy gets up here and says, let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, even though Afghanistanese people or Afghanistonians or whatever they are, are so completely different than Canadians, we are one with them. And in fact, the Afghan Christians are closer to us than non-Christian Canadians. We have more in common with them. We have our Lord together. We have the Spirit together. We are connected in Christ in one body. When they hurt, we hurt. We are already in eternity, already started eternal life, and we will spend forever with these people. Even though I couldn't understand one word they say without an interpreter. True fact. True fact. We're one with them. And we're one with a million people and millions of people who are already dead, gone before us, into heaven. Anybody have any dead Christian believer family members who have gone on before us? We're still one with them. Because they still have one Lord and they're still in the presence of the Spirit. And they're part of the one faith. We're still united. We're the same. And yet... If you gathered examples of true believers from all of human history, from the first Jewish believers who followed Jesus and heard his voice with their living ears, through to the Greek believers, through to the Roman believers, through to the German believers, through to the British believers, through to the Indian believers, through to the Northern African believers, through to the Irish believers, through to the... Frankish believers, through to the Vandal believers, through to the French believers, through to the monks and the monasteries and the nuns and the nunneries and the popes, if there ever was a believing one, I don't know, I don't judge, through to the Canadian believers, the American believers, and the modern believers, and the Russian believers, and the Australian believers, and you gathered just samples of true believing Christians through all of human history, 
most of us would not be able to understand what the other ones are saying. And our customs in life would be startlingly different. And even just how the right way to worship God, defined by each one of these people was, would be just radically different. Amen? Okay, I just saw somebody who I think is from, like, somewhere in South America. Is it different where your folks are from here? Right? The ideal church down in Belize or Bolivia or wherever it is, is just not what we would call the ideal church. So different. And that is highlighted by Romans 14 verses 1 to 3 here where Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome and he knows that this church is a lot of Jews who practice Jewish religion still, even as Christians, and a lot of Romans and Greek-thinking Romans who never did that and now are Christians. And he has to teach them to have a mindset to let people be quite different in their service to Christ. And he says this to them, As for the one who is weak in faith, and I think you can argue which one's the weak brother. Everybody always assumes I'm the strong brother and you're the weak one. Wherever there's a difference, don't worry, I'm the strong one, you're the weak one. It's okay, I'll deal with your weakness. And I don't know if this is even a trap. This is a pride trap in scripture, right? You're like, I'm the the strong one. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, no. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Yes, if you only eat vegetables. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. While the weak person eats only vegetables, let not the one who eats despise the one who disdains, or abstains, excuse me, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And most of us would respond to this thinking, what's the point of being a Christian if you don't get to judge people? Amen? Like, what's the point of learning Hebrew and Greek so you can read the Bible and the original if it doesn't empower you to sit in judgment on more people? Amen? (laughs) Thank you. You and me are going to start a church of the super holy, ultra righteous, better than everybody else, church of the Nazarene or whatever. Because you only know that you're getting it right when nobody else wants to come to your church. But can you see how this kind of teaching would force people to allow other people to live quite different Christian lives and still make you have to accept how they're living? There are people over there and they only eat vegetables unto the Lord. They're Christian vegans. All we know about them is they, did, they were not born in Steinbeck. Right? I eat lots of vegetables. Farmer sausage is a vegetable, right? It is in the shape of a cucumber. (laughs) When you cut it open, it's chunky on the inside, just like a cucumber. That's Mennonite vegetables. (laughs) Yes, no, maybe so? Okay, sorry. I love that stuff. Whatever. (laughs) However... Like, just look at this. Radically different lives of people trying to serve God. And the command is, welcome them. 
I think that would be very mentally and emotionally difficult for most of us to do. Because when you've decided what the right way for you to serve Jesus is, you want everybody else to do that too. Amen? That's human nature. It's just human nature. And because we're talking about God, these things are very important to us. And so here we are. We are really the same. All of us here. We are really different. All of us here. And God looks at our sameness and he looks at our difference and he says, fight. No, he says, welcome each other in the Lord. What are kinds of differences that make it difficult to feel at home at a church? Relationship status differences. Whether you're single or married can really make it feel like you fit in or don't fit in. Especially if you're still single at a time when many of the people your age are married. Marital status, like uh, if you're married or if you are a widow or a widower, that can make it very difficult sometimes to feel like you can just fit in with people. If Jackie was talking to a beloved sister recently who was saying it's so nice to be in a group of just women for a Bible study because I think her husband was the first one out of all the couples she used to connect with to pass away, which made it feel very hard just to just be where she was at. And I respect that, but relationship statuses can make it feel harder to connect at a church. If you're in a church, our church has been for a while like kind of big family church, right? Like... Lots of threes and fours and pluses for how many kids are happening around here. So we were at a time when a third of our church was in the children's ministry. And I don't know what it would be like today, but that's a lot of kids. So you come here and maybe you're 40 and unmarried and you feel like, can I fit here? Can I find a home here? Can I be accepted or whatever? Uh, Family status, being married but not having kids, something like that. Or having tons of kids. We've heard before from one of our larger kidded families where coworkers are just kind of like, what's wrong with you? Like, don't you know how these things happen? And you get those kinds of comments for having family sizes that are half the size of what the normal family size was around here two generations ago. Like 12 was normal 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Now, five is already like, what's wrong with you? Oh, how things change. Health status can make people feel very um, isolated, having long-term pain, not getting healed when people pray for you, not getting better year after year. You can feel isolated. You can feel alone. Sometimes people can feel like they're letting the church down by not getting healed when the church has been praying for you. Mental health status, having a mental health diagnosis can make people feel very alone and unrelated to and like a burden on the church and a burden on their friends. Uh, Tribal status, feeling like you fit or don't fit within the tribe. And I'm not using race because I don't think that term is really helpful because even amongst different skin colors, there can be different tribes that engage in genocide against each other. But even tribal status, 
which I had a little bit of an experience to many moons ago when I moved to Steinbeck and I was looking for work as a non-Mennonite person, as someone of Scottish descent, even though I don't even identify with Scotland at all. I don't care if they win anything at the Olympics, if they ever do. And I hate haggis and I'm never wearing a kilt. Moving to Steinbeck and trying to get a job somewhere and the individual could not pronounce my last name to save their life. Valefort, which is French. Valour, no, it's Balfour. Oh, I'm not getting the job, am I? Social status, feeling rich, feeling poor, feeling broke, going broke, filing for bankruptcy, winning the lottery, all of these things can make you feel very isolated. In fact, Anything that feels like pain or loss can make you feel utterly alone. And this point is driven home to me regularly whenever I have a kidney stone and the pressure starts building up behind that little death pebble in the tube where you're not supposed to have pebbles. And pain levels like that are like 12 out of 10 start going through you. Nobody else exists in my world. Right? When you're hurting, your world gets shrunk right down to you. So anything that makes you feel like pain or loss, like grieving and mourning, you can feel tremendously alone. And conversely, even success or promotions or elevations can make you feel tremendously alone. And Solomon, writing through the Holy Spirit, knew this. I'm sorry, my slide got got moved a little bit on me or I messed it up. Solomon says, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. And what he's saying there is when you're, the the fact is that all of us are kind of trapped within our own bodies. When it comes to your thoughts and your feelings, nobody can actually know what you're feeling. You can talk about it. You can share it. Other people can say, "I, I, I think I've experienced something like that before, but you're actually stuck inside yourself. Even when you're happy. You can't actually like yet, maybe, you know, you can't matrix somebody else to feel exactly how you feel. We're stuck inside of ourselves. And so anytime you have a, any moment of your life could be an excuse or an experience to feel completely isolated. Even in the midst of a worship service. Now, here's the good news. Here's some good news. When the Father God sent Jesus Christ to the world, part of his mission was to experience life in the highs and in the lows and in the successes and in the pains, in the acceptance and in the rejection, in the perfect way, so that when he came back from the dead, he would be able to, through the Holy Spirit and through his experience, come to every single person, no matter what they're experiencing and who they are and their past, and be able to say to you, I know exactly what you're going through. He was designed by the Father to come and be both a king and a pauper, come to be both totally, unlimitedly powerful as well as pathetically weak. He was come to be completely accepted as the Messiah and completely rejected as a murderer. He He came to experience every human situation so that everybody who looks to him in faith can have a God and a Savior who can always say to you, From the inside out, through the Holy Spirit, I know exactly 
who you are, what you're going through, and how it feels. And because of his cross, he can then say also, and I accept you, and I love you, and I will never leave you. It's one of the things I love about Jesus. Because I can feel very alone inside this thing sometimes. Robert Belfort, it can be unique. Anybody experience that? You can be a little one of a kindish sometimes. But when I go to Jesus, He already knows me better than I'll ever know myself. And through the cross, He says, I love you, I accept you, and I'm not going anywhere. And the only change is someday I'm going to bring you to me. That's the only change we get in our relationship with Jesus is someday we get to go to be with him and see him face to face or he'll return. How wonderful is that? What a savior. Guys, being a Christian, this is the point, is the man Jesus who died for our sins so that we could live in him and he could live in us and so that we would have a friend who is the truest friend. No rejection. All acceptance by faith. You want him, you got him. And designed by God to be perfect for us in every way in this life. How cool is that? That's better than oranges and apples. Now in the meantime, God has designed the church to come together in Jesus through Jesus, depending on Jesus, in such a way that we can be the same and different and make it work. And I'm going to read a longer section of Scripture here. This is in the 1 Corinthians 12 section. This is talking about the spiritual gifts and how God makes everybody a little bit different in the church so that we can work together. And he's trying to specifically deal with these feelings where people who feel like they're the same as some people in church have the right to kick away other people who aren't the same. Or people who feel like they're not the same as everybody else in a church will shrink back and feel awkward and not engage with the church. This is specifically what he's trying to deal with. And let's read this together. Sorry if it's small. For just as the, one, the body is one and has many members, so talking about your physical body has lots of different parts to it, and all the members of the body, though many, are still one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and frees, Mennonites, Scottish, and whatever else you want to put in the differences list. And all were made to drink from the one spirit. For the one body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Anybody feel like that? Okay. Because I'm not as smart as that person, or as pretty as that person, or as strong as that person, or as knit in. I'm not in the niche. I'm not in the group. I don't belong. That would not make it any less part of the body. Okay, you're still a Christian and you belong to a church, even if you feel like you don't. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Okay, if the whole body were the worship team, then why did we waste all this money buying chairs? Because you have to fit 400 people on this stage. 
If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Essentially what he's saying is you don't, well, except for now, you don't need to cover your face because everyone's expected to see it, but there are parts of your body you better keep covered when you go in public or else there'll be trouble. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And you can hear God through the Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, trying to unite these things. We are all the same in Jesus, and we're all completely different. And God has chosen us to be different. Do you feel different? That's a gift from God. You need to be different. You need to feel different. You need to act different. You need to think different. You need to be differently abled. Or else you're just like a jar full of eyeballs, which is you'll see in a lab, but in no human being. And yet, even though we're so different, we're meant to, in our weakness, feel like God honors us. And in our strength, feel like we're there to cover other people's weaknesses. So that as we organically are covering each other, understanding each other, loving each other, we look like a functioning body and not, well, a Lego bin. Of just all those yellow cup hands. Yellow claw. Your, your different story with all of its pains are meant to be here to contribute to the growth of the body of Christ and get cared about by the body of Christ. Your different strengths are here for the weak people amongst us and your weaknesses are here so that the strong people can grow an understanding for each other by loving somebody who's weak. Does that make sense? Okay, well, okay, I'll make it personal a little bit. Um, I don't find normal life comfortable. I'm almost always carrying around with me some kind of mental anguish that expresses itself in physical discomfort. Almost every day, a few hours will be spent of my life feeling uncomfortable. Mentally, emotionally, physically. That's my reality. And it's been like this my entire adult life, at least from teenagehood. And I'm sure somebody is going to want to write me a prescription after this meeting or something like this. But this has been my life. I have been noticing more and more that the more suffering I go through in this life, and I don't have anything too bad, the more I just love people's faces. The harder my regular daily life is, the more I'm happy when you guys show up at church. I don't know why it is. 
I just like people more the more life is hard. And the more I sympathize with people. Sometimes the kids, you know, the other day, one of the kids, their video game didn't save. Anybody feel it? Come on, dudes. You finally got the times eight multiplier in Lego Marvel 2. And it crashed, no save. And they were kind of devastated. Now, if there's anything an adult might not take seriously, it would be the fail to save on a video game. On the other hand, it's like, man, I hate it when something I've been working on falls apart too. I totally get it. For me, it's every five or six days when the lawn has grown back. I, every time I'm done the lawn, I try to hit the save file. And I think it's going to be there. No, it doesn't save. How lame is that? Our weaknesses are there so that the strong people can figure out that someone they love is weak and learn to care more in Christ. Because if we're all just strong, we will just be arrogant, abusive, proud, negligent, cold, whatever. So here's a way forward. How's a, how to be a healthy body in Christ. Number one, wrapping things together. Let's believe that everything we're going through is about Jesus. Our whole life is about faith in Jesus. Everything that happens is about growing in Jesus. Everything we go through is about growing our faith in Jesus, about knowing Jesus more, finding out his strength and his compassion, his goodness and his severity. Everything we go through is about our faith in Jesus. So when you feel the same as other people, that's about Jesus. And when you feel isolated and alone and like you've got a story that people won't understand, that's also about Jesus. And when we feel like we don't fit in, the wonderful thing, like I was talking about before, is you can always meet with Jesus. And your relationship with Jesus will grow. And your strength from Jesus will grow. And your faith in Jesus can grow. If it's hard, it's about Jesus. And even when it's great, it's about Jesus. Number two, I think whenever we feel isolated, oh golly, golly, when it turns out that you can't go to a restaurant anymore. That's about Jesus. And that's about being grateful for the one who said, you can always come to my restaurant. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup is overflowing no matter where you can go or can't go or whatever's going on. It's about... Number three, learning that the less we need each other to be a certain way, the more grace we can have each other. When we're growing in Christ and trusting in Christ, the less we actually need each other to like be our Savior. Does that make sense? And the less we need each other to be Savior, the more we can accept people who aren't our Saviors and have grace for them. Number four, let's stay humble. Let's try not to take over the place or people. One of the great, wonderful things about being a spiritual leader nowadays is that 
You don't actually have any authority over anybody. There were times where I probably could, like, get the governor to go down to your house and burn the place down. I've got, I got no authority in any of your lives. And I think that's a good thing. Because I don't live with the temptation of trying to uh, control you that much. Now, I've got things I'm responsible for that I need to, like, conduct in a way that is honorable to Jesus according to my own conscience. But I think we all do well when we don't feel like this world is a place that belongs to us. And that people aren't things that belong to us because they belong to God. We stay humble. Number five, just enjoy the differences in people. I love the differences in people. I love truck drivers. I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is true. I know nothing about trucking. As soon as I start talking about it, I think the truck driver is just like, what's wrong with you? I don't know why. I know why it is. Because I know that every single thing I've ever owned has been on a truck sometime. You guys are like the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Every good thing comes from a truck driver these days. Right? Yeah, exactly. It is true. Find me one. Well, if you own a garden, but probably the seeds. The wood. Number six, overflow in Christ. Try to contribute. Try to give. Come to church. Make some Sunday friends. Make some people that are your friends that you connect with on Sunday. Overflow. Don't just connect with your own groups on Sunday. Make some new friends on Sunday. Be super patient. Know your own boundaries. You know, I talked about it a little bit. Why don't we talk about the whole vaccine passport dealio? I don't think it's a faith issue, but it's becoming a faith issue. Because there are people in church who are vaccinated and there are people in church who aren't vaccinated, right? So the world's divide is now here. I don't think anybody has the right to reject a brother or sister over these things. Okay? And I don't think anyone has the right to fail to protect a brother or a sister over these things. If you've cared about privileges in the last couple of years, uh, there's a whole bunch of privileges happening and not happening to people these days. Don't think we have the right to fail to protect people. And you can use it both ways, so go ahead. (laughs) However, this is what I will say. Knowing a bit of human history, this really is how discrimination starts whether it's racial discrimination or putting yellow stars on people's arms or whatever it is, it always starts with, or or going back to Exodus, Egypt having to protect themselves from the super abundant Jews, growing lots of children, the Hebrew people. It's always a concern for the welfare of the state with official policy creating divisions that give one group permission to hate the other group. That's, That's always how this stuff starts whether it was the right to have residential schools or whatever it is. And I I think we, this is what I know. Jesus doesn't like the idea of people saying, if I had lived back in those days, I wouldn't have owned slaves or done the residential schools or whatever it is without being aggressive against the problem of your own age. 
And Jesus' day was like this. There were all these people who would go to mourn the deaths of the prophets. They would say things like, if Jeremiah were preaching in my days, I would have never treated Jeremiah like that. Or if Isaiah had been prophesying in my days, I would never have contributed to Isaiah getting killed. I would have never done these things. And Jesus blew up at these guys. He said, you guys go around pretending to be mourning at the death of these prophets, but all the guilt of killing the prophets is coming on your generation. Because he knew... That as much as they thought, I wouldn't have done it if I lived in those days, they were about to kill the one true prophet, Jesus himself. And so whenever we think like we're better than the previous generations and that we wouldn't have done the sins of the previous generations, we've got to watch our butts because we've obligated ourselves to not participate with what's happening today. So, no new enemies, don't hate your brothers and your sisters. It's better to die than to sin. There's a t-shirt nobody makes. It's better to die than to sin. I don't want anybody to die. But it's better to die than to sin. It's better to be Jesus than to be Judas. It's better to be killed by Judas than to kill your brother like Judas did. Amen? Everybody ready ready to be humble? Okay? We're playing for keeps, guys. These days we're playing for keeps. And it's better to lose your rights from Canada than to lose your righteousness in heaven. So... Don't sin. Don't sin. Believe in Jesus. Be good. Be patient. Suffer long. Be kind. Conduct yourselves in a holy manner on Facebook. Be winsome. Lead people to Jesus. Obey your conscience. Don't sin. Do good. Amen? And pray for the premier. Don't stop. In fact, let's do it right now. The band can be coming up. We're not going to pray for ourselves. We're covered. Now, if you're a Christian, you're going to heaven. It's these other people that need grace. So, Father, we just lift up our country to you. And, Lord, I have not intended to cause any division today. I really would love all of us to just be humble, 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 lovers of the other. And so, Lord, would you bless the premier today? Would you do good to him? Would you empower him for good? Would you give him leading and guidance? Would you forgive his sins, whatever they might be, without any judgment from me? Lord, would you bless our government, bless everybody who's working in here? And Lord, you know we're afraid. Lord, you know we're afraid. We're afraid of this Delta stuff. We're afraid for our kids. We're afraid for our family. We're afraid for our country. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of the debt. We're afraid of Afghanistan. We're afraid of the Taliban. We're afraid of China. We're afraid of Russia. We're afraid, Lord. We're so afraid. We're just so afraid. We are. Sometimes validly, sometimes out of controlledly. Oh, God in heaven, have mercy on us. 
Lord, we need your wisdom at a confusing time. And I pray for grace, Lord, that people would come to Jesus in this time and that Christians would be a power to lead people to Jesus in this time. But Lord, would you do good, Lord, whoever our enemies might be, and I'll let you decide who that is, would you do good to them and bless them and be kind to them and open their eyes to the gospel, Lord Jesus. And Lord, where we're afraid, Lord, you know me, I've, I've spent all this time this week trying to overcome my own fear of death so that I'm not a slave to sin. And Lord, I pray that your generation of believers would just, we would settle the issue of being afraid to die so that we can truly live with Jesus. So we're going to do a bit of ministry time. Can we do that? Can you guys play? We'll minister. I want to bless the outcast, okay? Or the person who doesn't feel like they fit in. So if you've ever felt, maybe you feel like today that you you don't even fit amongst the Christians, why don't you... We're going to take a risk because we want to declare our love for you, okay? So if anything that's going on in your life makes you feel like you don't fit into the normal Christian life, I want to invite you to stand. Hopefully there's still some people sitting. But I I do want to invite you. Why don't you stand? Why, Why don't you make a declaration from the Lord saying you want to get free from this stuff? You want to get free of feeling like your past is holding you down and things you did in the past means you can never be on the same level as other people if that's you, I want to invite you to stand. If you ever feel like you're, what's happened to you in your life isn't, is keeping you back, I invite you to stand. Okay, keep standing. The people who are afraid to stand, I want to invite you to stand, okay? Make a declaration to the Lord. It's not about me. It's not about anybody else yet. But if something's holding you back, you say, I don't fit, my life doesn't fit, you're welcome to stand. Okay. Truth number one, if you lift up your heart to Jesus, the reality is you're completely accepted by God. Your life is not a mistake. He's been ruling over it. And whatever it is that's made you to stand by faith in Jesus Christ can be one of the greatest gifts you have to give to other people. Your history, your past, your experiences in the hands of Jesus will make you a weapon for the kingdom to tear down strongholds and defeat the enemy. This is the truth. Why don't you ask Jesus now to do that through you? Okay, now as heaven is with you, this is what I want us to do. Okay, on the count of three, church, can we tell these guys we love them? We're going to say we love you on the count of three, okay? Are you guys ready to do this? I'm going to say it. And if nobody else says it, you've got the pastor in your corner, okay? On the count of three, we're going to just say we love you, okay? One, two, three, we love you. Okay, on the count of three, we're going to say we accept you. One, two, three. We accept you. On the count of three, we're going to say, we welcome you. Okay, one, two, three. We welcome you. Okay, on the count of three, we're going to say, we forgive you. If there's anything that needs to be forgiven, we're going to say it. One, two, three. We forgive you. And then on the count of three, we're going to say, we bless you. Okay, don't don't lose steam here. We're doing the work of the kingdom. Let's have a shout this time. 
On the count of three, we're going to shout, we bless you. One, two, three. We bless you. All right, so we're going to worship the Lord together. Let's keep doing work with him. If you need prayer, we'll sort that out too. But we are a body in Jesus Christ. Let's worship him together.